Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you that I will do what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and the thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And down to verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. We don't often look to the prophets for poetry like this, but this is a song that the Lord sang. He sees his people in this passage as a planted vineyard, a vineyard that he didn't plant and then leave, but he instead cultivated and did everything he could to give that vineyard what it needed to grow well, and instead it grew wild. And so it was useless. Useless to be used. This morning we're going to continue in our Matthew study, Matthew chapter 7. I should say our study of the Sermon on the Mount. So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. This has been a really great series. I've really enjoyed walking through it with everyone. It's been um, a pleasure to, to preach some of these passages. I'll be sad when it's done. Matthew chapter 7. Today we're going to continue. We're going to be looking specifically at verses uh, 15 through 20. And so I do want to take a look there. So if you've turned there, this is one of those passages that has some very recognizable Passages. I was going to say maybe proverbs. Uh, for a lot of people, it's a it's a, a saying. We kind of get some of those uh, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is no exception. This one has a couple of 
sayings that are actually quite familiar, quite popular. You'll see them as soon as we start reading through. Uh, this is actually pretty familiar. And, and so even though these words are familiar, I think that sometimes it's one of those that you can take on its own. You can read through this and you can get it. You can understand it. But sometimes when it's out of its context, loses a little bit of its punch, a little bit of its connection. And so today we're going to add a little bit of that back in as we read through this. So uh, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Let's put it back in its context. Chapter 7 kind of starts a, a, a separate segment of, of this sermon. Uh, back, I don't remember the date, a few weeks back, I was able to preach the first part of this passage. And it's a very familiar part of this passage. It kind of sets up the rest of this, uh, this sermon. And so looking at that, the first section here, if you look at the first, uh, the first verse of this chapter, in verse 1 it says, Judge not... Right, first six verses have to do with that, have to do with judgment, and what it really has to do with is um, a discernment. There's a discernment there that is determined, and this sort of sets us off. It's not really talking about judging in a final judgment type of sense, but this passage, this part of the passage, has to do with this principle that the forgiveness that you receive is equal to the forgiveness that you give. So a very general idea and a concept there. And it sets off the rest of this chapter and gives it a, um, a certain theme that we'll see played out. The next section, starting in verse 7, 7 through 11, ask, it'll be given. This whole sermon has to do with the disciples' relationship. Right, disciples' relationship to the Father. This section here, we start to really talk about disciples' relationship in other realms as well. But this first, uh, or this section here, that first part, judging others, does have to do with this general relationship between a disciple, those around him. This one has to do, this section, verses 7 through 11, ask, it will be given, this relationship that we have to the Father. So it's the disciples' relationship to the Master, the believer's relationship to the Father. Uh, we're kind of highlighting and focusing on that in that section there. Um, next section we have, verses 12 through 14. Verse 12, very famous, very popular, uh, very well known. The golden rule. Right? Do to others as you'd have them do to you. And it's stated that this is the, the whole of the Law and the Prophets. This is it. This has to do with those disciples' relationship to all those around. Whether they're believer, unbeliever, just everyone around you. This is talking about your relationship that you have with them as a disciple. Right? We also talk about uh, two different paths. Brings up ideas and concepts of reaping and sowing. So there's, there's other parts, other pieces there, but generally it's talking about relationship to those around. What we're looking at today, starting verse 15, 15 through 20, we are still talking about a disciples' relationship to other disciples. It's a little bit different. So in this one, we're talking about discerning that relationship. Is this person who they say they are? And it starts out in this passage, verse 15, starts out with a discussion of the leadership. And this is where we start to kind of settle in. 
in this passage here. Uh, the following passage here also has to do with then a disciple's relationship back to the master, but in a slightly different way, which will make more sense after we go through this here. But looking at this, look at verse 15. Verse 15, beware of false prophets. So Jesus gives a warning. Beware of the false prophets. And look at this. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Wolf in sheep's clothing. Really familiar sort of phrase, saying, proverb, right? Watch out for them. Watch out for these ravenous wolves. Has anyone ever been confronted by a wolf? We don't have a whole lot of interaction with wolves, but it's funny because they're still pretty prevalent in our, in our thoughts and our understanding. It's probably because of Red Riding Hood and Little Pigs, but we still have this like, idea about wolves. Wolves are dangerous, you know, even though we may have never seen them. So it's kind of a cultural fixture for us, too. It's sort of there, even though we don't have this experience. So looking at wolves, here's the thing about wolves. Just looking at that verse there, <clears throat> what's, what's, one, what's another word we could use for a wolf? What's another descriptor we could use for a wolf? What's, what's an adjective? Ravenous wolf, we assume what? Mean, hungry, hungry maybe generally just dangerous. All right, now with this, get a little different feeling here because this isn't just a wolf. It isn't just a wolf that shows up. It's a wolf that looks like what? A sheep, right? Looks like a sheep. Now, th- this, is, this is important because this is a, a really important picture that we have in not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, just as an understanding of people in general, our relationship to, to the Lord. The Lord uses sheep and flocks a lot as a word picture and to understand. So we're talking about false prophets, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit here, that, that phrase, a false prophet. But it's saying that the false prophet comes like a sheep. And the idea is it's, it, the sheep is representing other sheep, too. It, the, sheep, the wolf is representing itself as a sheep to other sheep, is the idea. It's a subtext, not stated, but that's, that's sort of the idea. And so if we are sheep, then this one has an outward appearance that would lead us into a sense of security, but really completely different intentions, right? There's a point here, a ravenous wolf, okay? Now, I mentioned before a couple of examples that we have for wolves in our own culture. So, you know, it's not a Grimm's fairy tale. You know, I I don't know who really would be fooled by a wolf dressing up like something else. You know, like the wolf dressed up like grandma. Those people must be pretty dumb. (laughs) Right? Have you seen Shrek? It's just a wolf dressed up in grandma's nightgown with like a kerchief or something on. It's like, wolf, we get it. You're a wolf. No, I'm grandma. No, you're not. You're not grandma. And then we have the, the other picture for like the three little pigs. Wolf is trying to pretend it's something else. Oh, I'm a, I'm a little sheep. It's like, no, you're not. 
you're not a sheep. You're clearly not a sheep. You look like a wolf wearing a sheep disguise. You're not. So you have, you've got these silly examples. That's definitely not what the picture is. Because why would we need to be warned if it's super easy to look at somebody and say, they're a wolf? We wouldn't need to be warned. But Jesus actually says, beware. You need to be aware of these guys. They look like sheep. But inside, they're ravenous wolves. Meaning, you can't tell. You cannot tell. You cannot tell from the outside how they look that they are wolves. Probably not from their voice. A big old raspy voice. Can we have a little sheep? You know, you wouldn't be able to tell. And that's the point. You can't look at someone and go, oh, that's a wolf. Because why would you need to be warned about that? That's just silly. It's just kind of funny. And this is what is being compared to a false prophet. So we actually do have two different things being compared. But it's assumed that you understand that you receive a good prophet. Prophet shows up. Prophet's there. You accept the good prophet. So what he's warning about is the bad one. The false prophet. This is the prophet who is actually not a prophet. Not a prophet from God. This is who is being warned about. Uh, If it were obvious, then this passage would be, be looking a little bit differently. Notice here, as soon as we're talking about the wolf, Jesus does something he doesn't normally do. He mixes the metaphors. How do you know it's a wolf? Instead of a sheep, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Pause for a second. We're starting to mix our metaphor, and then Jesus kind of goes into fruits and trees and things. That's kind of the point. And, And it actually shows kind of the difference. So for a wolf, there's an intentional, immediate difference, oftentimes, from the intentions we start to fade into fruit and trees. We'll talk a little bit, about, uh, a little bit more about that in, in just a second. What Jesus is saying here, it's not going to be obvious who the false prophet is. And so you need to look for the fruit. You need to look at their actions. You need to look at what they've done. You need to look at the outcome of what they've done. And I'd say this is a lot of times very difficult for us. Sometimes we need to kind of pull back a little bit and see what the criteria really is between a good, a good fruit and a bad fruit. Anybody ever had a bad fruit? I'm sure we could swap stories all day, but um, <laughs> somebody bought one of those packs from Costco. And you know people are swapping those out. They open them up. They swap different ones in there so they can go home with a perfect pack. And you're left with two rotten ones. I remember one time I grabbed one and it was rotten on the bottom. Just, oh, the disgust. Oh, it's disgusting. I don't, that one, you know, sometimes there's a little little kind of a blemish there, a little something. I just cut that part off. There's no cutting off of a real bad fruit. right, but it's not even talking about fruit that goes bad. That's not what it's referencing. What it's referencing here is right off of the tree, right off the vine, whatever it is, whatever fruit you have in your mind, right off of there, you go to eat it and it's bad. In our backyard, we have a fig tree like that. 
we've kind of ignored it, and then we see figs all over. It's like, oh, let's let's try one. And as soon as you cut it open, you go, nope, something's wrong here. We're not going to eat this. It might be light. It could be it doesn't have enough water. Whatever it is. One time we actually tried. We actually tried. We tried to water it more. It kind of is where it is. It's a tree. You can't really move it. Um, nope. Just bad. And so guess what? We don't eat those. You know, you know it's bad when the birds don't eat it. The birds are like, nah. And so for that, it's just like we, we just know we don't, we don't eat from that tree. Now, we're not trying to grow anything. If we were, we would get rid of it. You know why? Because it's bad, and I would like to use that spot for something good. So you get rid of it. I don't have anything against the tree. It actually looks like a nice little tree. But the fruit's bad. And if the point of a fruit tree is to bear fruit, when it's bad, you get rid of it. It's not like, yeah, but the fruit is pretty, so we'll keep it around. It's like, yeah, but it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's actually not a whole lot of a intense judgment there. I pull down a fig. I bite it. It tastes like sawdust. Not like a fig. Could it be a sawdust tree? That's stupid. No, it's not. This is a fig tree. If it was a sawdust tree, it's great. But it's not. And so you know what? I'm not going to eat from that. It's worthless. It's like immediately, nope, bad fruit. I don't want it. And so the, the judgment is not, well, we really should think about this. We really need to pray about it, whether it's really good or bad. It's like, no, it's bad. It's done. And, and that's why this, this particular word picture is good for us to use because it really helps us in our judgment calls. It's either good or it's bad. Right? And so then with a tree, and we'll talk more about this in a second, how do you really evaluate the tree in its context there, in the context of it being a fruit tree when we look at that. So again, it's assumed in this passage that when you see something's bad, it goes away, but when it's good, that's the one you want. And so pulling it back here to to verse 15, we're talking about false prophets here. Notice it doesn't use different words. It's not like, oh, they they look like rams or they look like something else. It doesn't use a bigger or inflated word for this. It just looks like another sheep. So there's actually kind of a cool concept here about the leadership, who they are, what they are in this particular context here. We'll look at some other passages and it'll change ever so slightly. But here, it's seeing there's an equality there with leadership and with who they are to be ministering to. But the false prophets, again, if there's a true prophet, that one you want to keep. That one you want to hang on to. Turn to Ezekiel 34. There are lots and lots of passages that have to do with leaders and leadership and how they're supposed to lead and what they're supposed to do and all those things. We're going to look at this one really quick. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel writing. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So I know we just talked about in the other passage, it's using sheep. In this one, it's using shepherds to, to prove a point. So we're talking specifically about the leadership of Israel. The shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, so say it right to them, 
Thus says the Lord God, Ha, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So what we have here, we have kind of a litmus test. What's a good leader? If we take some of this understanding back, what would then be a good prophet? Part of this is here. Equity, justice, care, love, feeding. The ones that are weak, you strengthen them. There's an understanding there. And actually, in in a group, there can be consensus. Even if you can't quite hit the nail on the head of exactly what it is, you can say, this isn't right. Something's not right about this. Even if you can't put your finger on it, say this, isn't just, this just isn't right. There's something wrong. And that's sort of what you see with this example of, of leadership. Now, if you actually took this and reversed the statements, did Jesus fulfill the role of the shepherd? If you went back through, you could say, actually, when Jesus shows up, they should be able to say, well, they aren't being a good prophet, or they aren't being a good shepherd, but he is. And there were a lot of people who could see that. Yes, he is actually speaking with authority. He says the correct things. We know this is right. And they could look at their own leadership and say no. And and yes, in the context here, Jesus is referencing their current leadership. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the religious leaders saying they're unfit. They're the false prophet. They look like sheep, but inside they're wolves. Don't trust them. They'll eat you. They'll eat you alive. They'll take what they can. They're going to use your wool. They're not going to care for you. The people that Jesus spent time with and went to, these should have been the ones that the leaders were helping. These should have been the ones that the leaders were ministering to, and they weren't. And so when they saw Jesus and what he was doing, they said, oh, he's, he's the right one. And that's why the crowds were all around him. He is the shepherd. And in fact, Jesus calls himself the what? He's the good shepherd. That's what he is. That's who he is. Back to Matthew. Matthew 7. Verse uh, 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. They are not. I added in the answer. No, they are not. Verse 17, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, 
nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. There is something a bad fruit tree is good for. Firewood. If it doesn't produce good fruit, it's going to be gotten rid of. It's going to be replaced. We don't need it. And this is where we start to get some of the understanding around how this actually plays out and how this actually works. Whereas we can take a, we can take a fruit, we can immediately take a bite and see if it's good. Do you know how long it takes for a tree to start producing fruit? Anyone have fruit trees on purpose? Not like me? Anyone have them? Yeah. If you start with a sapling, it can take, depending on the fruit, it can take like four years, five years, before you actually start to get normal fruit. Depending on the fruit, in fact, it's, it's recommended that you pick off the small fruit so it concentrates on growing and getting bigger and, and, and able to handle the fruit. And in this, I mean, in this county we have apples are a big deal. And so then you go out to Sebastopol and you see a whole lot of people with apple trees and there are different things you can do to care for them so that they will produce more fruit. But the expectation is not, I put the sapling in and then tomorrow I go back out to see if there's fruit on it. If that were true, you would rip up every sapling and say, no fruit. Done. Cherry tree, seven years. So some take longer. So part of the idea is, how does someone gain the reputation of bearing good fruit? Is it immediate? It kind of can't be. Some of you were blessed to move to a house that already had fruit trees that were bearing fruit. If that's the case, you're like, yeah, it's super easy. You just buy a house that has fruit trees, and they bear fruit. But for someone who sees a tree from the beginning, it takes time before you can even start to evaluate. And let's be honest with a person. You can't have a determination in your first conversation, in an introduction. Some of you, um, I know that some of you are good at, at having discernment with people. And that's a great thing. And it's a great thing to have that, that kind of discernment. But the thing is, is we can't lay down any kind of educated understanding as to what their standing is before the Lord based on an introduction. The Lord says, when you're evaluating the prophets, check their fruit, which means, should you make a, a new believer, a pastor or a leader or someone that you're going to follow? No, and in fact, we actually have that teaching in the New Testament. When they're saying when you're establishing church leadership, don't look to new believers. Do you know why? There can be no evaluation. We've never gotten to the place where we can actually evaluate and start to see that fruit. Now, I'm not saying that no new believers can bear any kind of fruit. I think you understand the principle that I'm talking about. It takes time. It can't just be a snap judgment. I actually really feel bad for celebrities who become believers because they're often taken and they make a profession of faith and they're often taken and because they're recognized, they're pushed up into a place of, in a sense, leadership. Write books. 
do studies, say things, because people will see you. Sells books, but I often feel really bad for them as far as their souls. Are we stunting their own growth? Do they even know what they're doing? Can they understand anything that's going on around them? They just got into this thing. And you can start to see some people who are put in that position start to kind of fall off to the side because they're expected to bear fruit and not have anything to support it. All of these are, of course, generalities. And I know that we can talk to people who have experiences with folks who they come to know the Lord and man, they start bearing fruit right away and it's a blessing and that's amazing. I'd say that's great. In this particular context here, what they're talking about is trying to figure out between false prophets, good prophets. I'd say you can extend this to just other believers as well. It takes time. So guess what? Yeah, it's in the, we have relationship and community built into this evaluation. Which is why a lot of times, and pardon me if this is your first Sunday here, sometimes you can show up at a church and if it's your first Sunday, make a snap decision and then bolt. If it doesn't quite match up. Ah, nope, I'm out. Instead of allowing for fruit to be seen. Right, so in, a, in, in, the, in that kind of context in a community, sometimes we, we make the same sort of mistakes that we might make with individuals as far as that evaluation piece. Let's take a look here at one other place. Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Fruit has a, we're talking about fruit as a picture. It's a very vivid picture for us. Even though we don't live in in an agrarian society, even though for a lot of us, like picking good fruit is, you pick fruit out of a stack at the grocery store. It's already pretty well sorted for us. Even if we don't, we still have this understanding somewhere in our minds. The, the, the picking of, of fruit, and, this, and some of you have been able to go pick fruit and stuff. And so you may have had firsthand knowledge. But this, this picture of, of fruit, it, it's, it's actually pretty prevalent throughout not just the New Testament, the Old Testament. Think about the garden. So one of the very first stories we have takes place in an orchard. Having to do with good fruit and bad fruit. And evaluating that. So it's actually a pretty, uh, pretty important picture to, to look at. Looking at Galatians chapter 5. I know I told you to turn there and I didn't. There you go. Galatians chapter 5. I'm starting this a little farther back than, than you may have then you may think we, we should, but, but stick with me. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? Kind of sounds like Matthew 7. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16. 
But I say, this is Paul writing this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Understand this idea of the Spirit and the flesh warring against each other. This is a really big teaching. This is a really big philosophy to kind of get your head around. We do not have time this morning to delve into that part. So think of it right now as just kind of setting context. We're not going to dive into that really deeply. Okay, but just understand that what we're talking about, again, going back to this principle we see in Matthew 7, two different things to choose from, the spirit and the flesh. Okay? Spirit and the flesh. But if you are led by the spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh. To keep it in the context that we're talking about, let's just call it fruit. Fruit of the flesh. Now the fruit of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divinations, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So anything else you can think of that's similar to all those, it now falls into the other category, and it's also included on this list. Pretty big list. These are all, to use the the phraseology we have from Matthew 7, fruit of the flesh. Okay? Works of the flesh. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to talk about that really quickly, just for a second. Those who do such things. Let's bring it back to the context of our fruit trees. If you have a fruit tree that bears lots of good fruit, and you pick one apple, and it is just a weird-looking apple, doesn't taste good, is that the point where you cut down the tree? What if you found like two or three or four? And then 300 good ones. We're not talking about a tree that all of a sudden grows a couple of bad apples. What we're talking about is essentially the reputation of the tree. If you take what it produces and you look at it, you make the evaluation like I did with the fig tree, all of these are garbage. These are terrible. Then we can make an evaluation of the tree. Okay, what we're not talking about is a tree that bears a couple of bad apples. What we're talking about is a tree that has the title of being bad tree. Everybody knows it. When you pick from that tree, it's going to probably be bad. Very general understandings. And the reason I say that is people have gone to this list and they go, oh, that one guy got drunk that one time. So I'm not going to associate with him talk with him or do anything with that guy even though he says he's a believer and he's got to love other fruit nope I'm not going to do it because there's not an understanding there of what this is this is not the one bad apple thing and we'll, we'll see that in a second but I wanted to address it because it's brought up right here such things will not inherit the kingdom of God so even the wording here takes us back to Matthew next verse verse 22 But 
counterpoint, the fruit of the Spirit is a familiar list to us if we've been in the church for a while. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So if you've crucified the flesh, it shouldn't be grown anything. So we shouldn't really be seeing some of the other fruit that we have. And instead, what you're going to see is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit, I don't think this list is given the prominence that it should. I think we see that as like, yeah, well, yes, you know, these are nice things. If you look at the list, and some people would see this as, I don't know, if you grew up in the church and you did the color pages, you know, VBS or in Sunday school or something, you'd, fruit of the Spirit, and it's like a bowl of fruit, right, like, Patience on a banana, or you'd write, you know, love on an orange, or love on an apple. I think apple is usually prevalent in there. Sits right there, very prevalent fruit. Um, you know what I mean? Like we, we take all different fruit and do that. And probably a better way to understand fruit of the spirit is actually one big cluster of grapes. It's understood as this is one fruit. This is the fruit of the spirit. First on the list is love. And there are many who would, who would look at the grammar of this and kind of the idea and say that these are actually all love in all of its different facets expressed. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and everything else pours out of that. And that's what it is. But to understand like this, it's going to be all of them. These are going to be the fruit that you would see. So enumerated here, you have this, this pretty good list. And it start, we start to see this way to evaluate how our actions should be viewed. Does it fit? Which list does it generally go in? Maybe it's not specifically one of the bad fruit lists. Maybe it maybe fits in the other category on that list, fruit of the flesh. We could say like, yeah. I can see these fruits growing in, 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 in this, this person's life. I can see what this is. In Matthew 7, there's no, there's no description of the fruit, really, just good or bad. And in here, we've got a little bit more detail. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you should be seeing. You should be seeing this. We see the fruit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so we, again, this is to be lived out in context of community with others. We should be expressing these things with each other. This is how we should view the, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the good fruit. We shouldn't keep the good fruit to ourselves. We should be seeing it with others. We shouldn't be conceited. I have good fruit. You don't have very good fruit yet, or I can't see, or I can't determine, or you also have that, but mine's better. There shouldn't be this conceited, envious thing between. It's just we all have good fruit, and let's share the good fruit. Share with all those around us. Look at verse uh, 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught... In a transgression. You who are spiritual, meaning those who are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, because now we have a definition of spiritual, 
Those who are spiritual should do what? Condemn and expel. No. That's not what it says. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 is a different way of stating Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Keep watching yourselves, lest you also be tempted. There's a reality there. And in case you didn't think that all of these seemingly random, singular topics all went together, when Paul is describing this, he can't help but bring all the other pieces in to explain what he's talking about. These ideas and concepts of how disciples should interact with each other, how they should judge leadership, how they should evaluate those around us, what we're talking about is a proper and fit discernment of the Spirit. How do we know that the people around us are disciples of Christ? How do we know that we can trust correction from those around us? We now have criteria. Just someone who shows up Sounds good. Flashy speaker says the right things. Do we have, should we just follow them? Ah, we got to see some fruit. We got to see how you live in the community. How do you treat others? Have you ever interacted with someone who up front, amazing person, great person, says all the right things, all the stuff, and then when they interact with someone, you overhear a conversation, you talk with them, like, that guy's kind of a jerk. That guy's like kind of mean for no reason. He's really short with people and he's kind of loses it. He's just unkind. Maybe he's not gentle. That's what we're talking about. Just because someone is the prophet, I'm going to put it in quotes, doesn't mean that they are fit to be followed. Jesus later on in his examples he will say that he is the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. For those who are placed as shepherds above his flock, they should emulate the words of the chief shepherd, of the good shepherd. That's how you know who to follow. I hear, I hear people sometimes when they, they'll send me a name and say, is this person good? I'll be like, well, why? Oftentimes you ask the question because you don't know because you've read something or heard something or, read, or you heard a thing and say, you know what? Evaluate. Look and see. How do, how are, how's their, if you can evaluate, how's their family? How's, how's the church that they serve in? How, how are some of these other pieces? Because you know what? In any kind of teaching that you get, you can eat the meat and spit the bones. That's not a big deal. You can have good discernment in the message, but if you're asking for an evaluation of a person, what kind of leader are they? You need to look at more than just the words they say up front. There should be some fruit. There should be some things around that. People are known by what they produce. Oh, maybe that's why we call it produce. Just thought of that. But this is the mark of a disciple. It's not my notes. I just came up with it. Um, these different things, these are the mark of a disciple. And if you can't see Jesus in their actions, if you can't see that they're living by these things. 
probably a good idea to not follow a one. Right? Whether, and, you know, it's actually a pretty good way to live life just normally. Maybe not just take someone at their first introduction, at their first, the first impression. It's okay to be courteous and kind and nice, but not necessarily to give over part of your following to that, to that person. This is not the last time that Jesus has this interaction. In fact, he has a run-in with the leaders, with the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 12, I believe it is. Matthew chapter 12, he has this discussion. The reason why I bring that up, Jesus is saying this right to the leader's face. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, but the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they say, but for your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. He says this right to the leader's faces. No mincing of words. He says, your fruit stinks. That's because they confronted him on an issue having to do with his compassion with other people. When he healed someone on the Sabbath and they confronted him, your fruit stinks. You're not fit to be the leader of Israel. And honestly, I think everybody there knew it including them. So how does this sum up? It's our responsibility with each other to help each other to grow in this way. Okay, it can't be done from the pulpit. It really can't. And it's also not the job of a pastor or a teacher or a speaker to do that. All a teacher or a pastor can do is to minister. We can help along to encourage. But you will all see everybody's weaknesses. You'll you'll help each other and love each other, care for each other, and you'll see each other's worst at the same time. You'll see each other fail. You'll fail one another. But I would echo what Paul has said. You who are spiritual, you who are exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, restore Restore those. We are to help, come alongside, assist, love, help to care for and tend for wounds, feed. Right? There are some things that, that can be done by quote unquote, and I hate this moniker, the professionals, ministry professionals. Most of the work is going to be done by everybody to love and to care and work for each other. And so in this way, you fulfill what the Lord has called us to do by living out the fruits of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, God, we are, Lord, we, we, we have to be honest as we come to you, God. We know not every fruit that we bear is good. We know that we fail, and we fail each other, perhaps even daily. 
Lord, I pray for us. Pray for those of us who have made you our master, those of us who are your disciples and would call ourselves such. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would exhibit in our hearts and our lives that this fruit, this fruit of the Spirit, Lord, would, would be evident and be growing. Lord, I pray if there is any comparing to one another, Lord, there would in, it would be in a spirit of Lord, wanting to encourage one another, to love one another. For those of us who see someone who's farther in their faith, God, I pray that we would have the humility to say, I'd love to learn some of the things. What are you, what are you doing? How do you study? What do you, how do you, what's your prayer life like? Lord, I pray that we'd have this humble honesty in our relationships, Lord, that we might grow as a people. Lord, that we might, as a church, bear good fruit. Lord, I pray that we would treat others around us, Lord, with good fruit, that we'd love those around us. Sometimes, Lord, that would mean love them enough to share with them the thing, the only thing that can draw them into kingdom of light, can draw them into your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be able to live out lives as those who are your household and speak the words so that others may know, Lord, how they can also have that relationship with you. Lord, as we go from here, I pray that we would really take to heart the challenge to love one another and restore each other, Lord, to right relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.